0: What up, world? Welcome to a new episode of the brand new show. As you know, I am brand new, and like always on all Tuesday nights, this is my new series, I Bleed Sports. Like always on all podcast platforms, brand new show, social media platforms, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, threads, brand new show, and of course, 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 <laughs> YouTube channel, brand new show. Man, I hope you guys enjoy this episode. <sighs> Let's get into it. So. This past weekend was a crazy freaking weekend in sports. So many things happened. Of course, hockey. You had hockey. You had uh, basketball. You know, going to the first full week of basketball. Um, A lot of things going on, man. Football, of course. And I will be doing that by the end of this episode. But one thing I got to talk about is what happened Saturday night. The crossover fight that most of us thought was <laughs> easy money. Easy fucking money. Tyson Fury fighting Francis Nagway Nagagu never the other dude last name is um, and you know it was a spectacle It was a long, long long spectacle. But then when they finally got in the ring, and we're like, dude, this this is Tyson Fury. This is literally one of the greatest boxers in modern boxing history. Probably one of the greatest boxers, heavyweight boxers of all time. He had the height advantage. He should have easily won this fight. It's 10 fucking rounds. A lot of us are like, I'm not even going to watch this fight because I already know Fury going to wipe the floor with him. This is just a, this is an easy dub. And the fight happened and I watched it from its entirety. And the first time Francis hit Fury, like really caught him, you could tell Fury was like, oh shit. Oh, he got power. Holy shit, hold on. And it it it, it changed him. Now the third round is where shit got crazy. Cause he Fury came out trying like get on him, try to hit him, try to get him. And, And here's the thing that people are not explaining and talking about a lot. Francis was controlling Fury's jab a lot in that fight. Now if you watch like the celebrity fights, they just go in and try to just punch each other and try to but that's how you box. When somebody's got a longer reach than you, their main key is to get a jab on you. Keep your dis- keep the distance. As long as they keep applying that jab on you, that keeps the distance. Plus it tells them how much room they got to really work on you. It's not really, if you watch boxing like I watch boxing, you know that the fight is more controlled by the jab than any damn tec- technique in anything. Even when you watch a Floyd fight, yes, his defensive status is is amazing. But the fact that he could defend but also catch you with jabs is where he was getting you the most. Because Floyd wasn't hitting you super hard. He was defending, but it was the jabs that were getting him the points. And watching this fight, man, Saturday Francis was controlling Fury's jab. Every time Fury tried to throw it out there, his glove was right there. He had amazing blocking techniques. He never let Fury catch him on the, on his ear or anything crazy. He kept his glove up. I was like, whoa, this is this is not what I thought. Was, something I said before the fight even came on, I said, if he can get his footwork right, if his boxing footwork is actually good, Fury might have a hard time in his fight because footwork is another thing about boxing. You gotta have your footwork because that's really where you're driving your power. You want a great stand, stance where you could catch him, catch people off, especially with somebody like a Francis Ngannou, who has a powerful, powerful punch like he does, who had literally the knockout of the year in the MMA. And so the third round happens, and they get tussling into whatever. And Fury tries to hit him. And he kind of blocks the punches, but Fury's in too close, and he's trying to like lean out, kind of like back out. Francis hit him. Bow! And if he caught him on the back end or whatever the hell it is, he said he got hit in the back of the head, which is why he fell. But that fucking punch tagged Fury. That shit floored him. And people was like, oh my god. I lost my shit. I was like, this cannot. This cannot be happening right now. This physically cannot be happening. It showed me that no matter what, a fighter is a fighter. No matter what. That's why I don't really care about Logan Pauls and Jake Pauls and shit like that. This is why we keep screaming. Until you get in the ring with an actual boxer or somebody like that, things will change on you. But here's the thing about this. Francis Ngakwe practiced boxing. He's an MMA fighter. Like, he practiced standing and punching people. That's his shit. So he pretty much already had a stand. He just needed to work on his footwork a little bit more to be a boxer. And I'm watching his fight, and I'm like, yo, he is controlling Fury's jab. Fury cannot get his jab off, which is something that Fury probably was the main cog of what he thought he was going to be able to physically do to him. He can't get his jab off. And now... You then got knocked the fuck down. And it's kind of like, what the fuck is going on? Fury won the fight. Controversial as hell as it is, he won that fight. And he literally won it by a point. That's crazy to hear. He won it by a point. But if you watch the fight, Francis, after the knockdown, he kind of got tired. And you could see his stamina was starting to fall. By like the fourth, fifth round, his stamina fell off a little bit. But by the six, seven, and eight round, getting closer to like the nine, ten, it's something else that Fury does so well. People, if you know Fury fights, if you watch Fury fights, you know he leans on you. He leans on you, which is why he has so much body weight when he comes into these fights. He leans on you. He wants your legs to get tired. He wants your body to give up. After a while, when he starts to apply those jabs, It feels like a fucking, you know, a hammer hitting you. But instead, Francis, because he is of the MMA and he has to learn grappling and he has to learn techniques to get people to the ground. Fury couldn't lean on him. He couldn't get him. And that's what made Fury tired because Fury was trying to get him wrapped up so much that Francis was just keeping him from getting that body weight on him. And then when Francis would, when they would wrap up, Francis would actually hug him, and it would physically make Fury have to get himself out of it more. Which is, you know, when you're hugging somebody like a bear hugs somebody, and they are kind of like they got to get out of it more than you do. That's that's actually using more energy that they don't want to use. So to see that fight Saturday, and for anybody to say and tell me Fury won that fight, you're lying. You're lying. Fairy did not win that fight. The only reason why Fairy won that fight is because boxing is a corrupt-ass sport. They know they got to get Ferry to that fucking fight and just announced that Ferry is going to fight uh, Yurcic. Yurcic. He's going to fight Yurcic now in February. So that just came out before I started doing this. It just hit the uh, press that him and uh, – they were supposed to fight, I think, in December? November, December? They're supposed to fight in December, I think. And now they pushed it back to February. Because that is an embarrassing fight that Fury just had. Like, There's no way in hell you go into a fight like that. And your sick. by the way, did not look great in his last fight. Dude knocked his ass out. He knocked his ass down. I saw the punch that fucking floored him. And they was like, no, he slipped. That's bullshit. I saw that nigga hit his ass, full contact, and his ass fell. He fucking fell. Like he was like woo. So neither one of these men are coming off of great outings, but the fact that you and yours didn't have a great fight against a really good heavyweight compared to Fury losing losing to a MMA fighter is a completely different fucking thing. I don't know if Fury's losing a step in the boxing ring. I mean, you got to realize he's he was out of the sport for like a damn what five five some years like five ten years. Dealing with drug abuse and everything, so maybe now time is starting to catch up to Fury. Maybe it is finally starting to catch up to him. Like, hey, you can't only you can't do this for too much longer now. And to have the fights that he's had over the last couple of years, especially when he first really came out and got back into shape against Deontay Wilder, who was the hardest puncher in the fucking and boxing, I don't know how many more fights Fury can have where he's in these types of situations and he wins them. So I think if he does fight, you're sick. Um, February and it's 100% a fight and it's going to happen February I can literally see Ferry if he wins that fight I can literally see Ferry retiring I can see Tyson Ferry saying yeah I'm done I, I, I'm, I'm good I'm done I can see it because there's nothing to prove left but if he loses I don't know if he still says he wants to just continue fighting because now it's kind of I think at the end of the day he still retires Maybe he fights Yurisic and gets his energy back, and he finally, like, now I got motivation to actually want to win. So maybe he does come back and fight. But Saturday night, that fight, Francis won that shit. Francis was tagging him more. Francis made him feel it more. Every time you saw, every time Francis hit Fury, like, one thing he should have kept doing was going to the body, which is the same thing Beyonce Wilder stopped doing in that fight When they had when he finally tagged him, He stopped going to the body in that match, which is something that you got to still do with Fury. You got to get to him. But for the most part, man, um, yeah, Francis won that fight. I, I think that was the most disrespect, And this is why people tone the fuck off of boxing, because you cannot have decisions like that. Want somebody, and I get it, you didn't want your world heavyweight champion, undisputed world heavyweight champion, the man that is literally the lineal, the lineal heavyweight champion. First boxing fight ever to lose ever in his career to a guy that is literally his first fucking boxing match ever. I get it. I totally understand it. But at the same time, Fury lost that fucking fight. What <laughs> fuck y'all talking about? Fury lost that fight. Fuck out of here. And Fury also threw an elbow, a legal elbow, in the damn fight. Like, dude, like, if, if y'all going to take points from, y'all going to claim he hit him in the back of the head to get a knockdown, we got to claim Fury should have lost points off of that, and Francis still should have won the fucking fight. Because he should have got points deducted for using his elbow in the goddamn punch. So, yeah. Um, but I just wanted to say that. Um, now, Baseball. Game three was last night um, of uh, – game three was last night of the World Series. Texas took it um, 3-1. Um, Garcia's out tonight, uh, the, the amazing uh, power hitter in Texas lineup. He's out for tonight. Um, what do I expect of this game? Arizona's going to probably win it. Um, they, have no, they have to win this game. If they don't win this game. Texas might let them win, against, win in game five and then take it back home and beat them in game six. But Arizona's got to win this game tonight. Um, this is a must win. Every time you get to a point in a, in a championship situation, this is a must fucking win. I don't care what anybody say. This is a must fucking win. So for anybody to sit up here and lie and say that this is not, you're lying to yourself. This is a must fucking win. So at the end of the day, um. Yeah, I think uh, Arizona should win this game. If they don't, then like I said, Texas might let them win tomorrow night and then go back to uh go back to Texas. Uh, what's it? Is? Tomorrow will be Wednesday, Thursday. So Friday night, I think they play game six. So yeah, I think Texas lets them. I think Texas takes in game six if they lose tonight. If not, I think it goes seven if the Arizona Diamondbacks win tonight. I think it goes seven. Uh, I think it goes seven. Now, basketball. There's two stories I want to talk about in basketball. Um, again, it's in the second week of the of basketball, so it's not really that much going on except for last night. Um, Last night, um, James Harden finally was traded from the 76ers to the Los Angeles Clippers. A um, bunch of people got moved. Kenya Martin Jr., uh, I want to say Nicholas Platoon, um... Uh, yeah, some other pieces got moved. When I say Robert Covington, I think he got moved to. It was a lot of pieces that got moved from the Clippers. But anyway, James Harden is now James Harden is now a Clipper, um, and so is PJ Tucker. PJ Tucker also got traded to uh, to LA. What do I think of this move? Great for Philly, bad for the Clippers. <laughs> Great for Philly, bad for the fucking Clippers. I don't think this is a good move. You might get to the playoffs. You might get to the playoffs, but I don't think this is a good fucking move for the Clippers. You waited three games to be like, okay, let's blow this up and let's bring James Harden in. Like that's, You should have given it a little bit more time personally. Uh, you're actually doing all right. You're not bad. Russell Westbrook is doing what Russell Westbrook has always done. Uh, the the years in L.A. was the, with the Lakers were a, a complete and utter anomaly. And now you're putting them back on the team with James Harden, which these two motherfuckers couldn't even stand each other when they were in Houston like that. It it it's a it's a it's a bad situation. I don't think the Clippers fully thought this shit through. <laughs> I don't think they thought this one through at all. Um, and here's the thing: if Kawhi is healthy, if Kawhi is healthy, and um, Kawhi is healthy, Paul George is healthy. If everybody's good, then, yeah, you're okay. You're going to make it. But the moment Kawhi goes down or Paul George goes down, this shit's going to fall apart immediately. Stephen a, a. Smith said something the day on the first take, and it's so true. With everybody healthy, now you got a dilemma because if everybody's healthy, who the fuck taking the shots? Who's taking the shots? And that's the thing. You also got rid of a lot of your defensive, defensive power and defensive length and The ability to play. And now you got to ask the question is, who's coming off the bench? For me, personally, James Harden's coming off the bench. I'm sorry. like Terrence Mann has earned his spot on that starting rotation. Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, you're not letting one of them go sit on the bench. And Russell Westbrook is the engine that drives that fucking team. So, at the end of the day, I think Terrence Mann should be in a starting rotation. That is ridiculous if he's the one that's sitting on the bench, coming off the bench because James fucking Harden. Get the fuck out of here, dude. James Harden can only do so much. He's only a facilitator and a scorer when you need him to be. People that keep sitting up here. And James Harden, by the way, has still not played yet this season. So his first game is literally going to probably be against the Lakers. And I don't think that's a good situation. For Philly, I've been saying this for the last couple weeks. Get his ass out your fucking building. You should have been got rid of him. Um, and I think the Philadelphia 76ers finally wanted to pull the trigger on the deal because I think they saw for the last three games, Tyrese Maxey, who I've been saying is going to be that one-two punch with Joel B. They finally saw Tyrese Maxey become that one-two punch with Joel B. And they're like, wait, fuck it. Let's get his ass the fuck out of here. Because if we got this guy, Tyrese Maxey, that is showing us that we're ready to go and we got somebody, we need to put Tyrese Maxey in that that rotation. And as that number two guy. So, I love the fact that at the end of the day, Philly got rid of James Harden. That's a massive fucking win. Now, I don't think the Eastern Conference, they now make some Eastern Conference noise. Fuck no. I don't think the Eastern Conference, no, 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 no. I don't think they're in the same class as Milwaukee and Boston yet. But with moves like this, and if Tyrese Maxey continues to rise and do what he's been doing, I can easily put Philly back into that conversation of they can actually take the East because a lot of people don't understand this. Sometimes it's not about the star power you have. It's just about the team camaraderie you get. And right now with a Joel Embiid, who's the MVP of the league still, a Tyrese Maxi who's ready to go, and the ability to still switch and do these things, and now you bring in defensive weapons in players that can shoot up and hit jump shots with that those two guys, also with Tobias Harris, who I still think you should probably fucking flip and try to get him out the fucking building too. But with those two guys, Syrese Max and Joel B I think Philly could get back in the conversation of being the third best team in the Eastern Conference. Now, they still got to go through Cleveland and, you know, the Knicks who are rolling in Brooklyn and shit like that. But outside of that, I think that the Knicks, I think Philly is a good fucking team and they are ready to go. So, with that move that they made, congratulations. Now, I said a team earlier, the Lakers, which is another team I want to get into. And that is Anthony Davis. Me and my brother Juan talked about this Friday, but we didn't really get a chance to really get into it as much as we want to. Um, So, I'll do it here. Excuse me. Um, So for the last three, four games, I don't know how many games Lakers played, three games, I think four games so far this season. So for the last couple of games, um the Lakers the talking NBA has been is Anthony Davis ready to take um is Anthony Davis ready to take the torch? From LeBron James, pretty much. That's really what the fuck the conversation has been. And no, the answer is no. You could get Anthony Davis all the points in the world, and he could rebound as much as he want, and he could block everything, but he is never going to be that guy to take the franchise away from someone. That ain't it. You know why I know that? Because he had a chance to have his own franchise, and he decided to still leave and go team up with LeBron James because he never wants to be the face of a franchise again. The problem with that is you went to the fucking Lakers with LeBron James. LeBron James eventually will retire. LeBron James will eventually leave, and you're going to have to submit your place as the Lakers' big man, and I don't think Anthony Davis will ever be that. I've seen him with us when he was here with, with the New Orleans Pelicans. I've seen him play with the Pelicans, and they when they went to the playoffs with Drew Holiday and Ray J. Rondo that year, Ray J. Rondo was the leader of that team. Let's not get shit twisted. Ray J. Rondo was the leader of that team. Drew Holiday was also a leader of that team. Anthony Davis was just lucky to be there. He was lucky to be on that team, play with those guys, because those two dudes defensively, offensively minded, was the best damn things that ever happened to New Orleans in that time period. The fact of the matter is, Anthony Davis never wants to be the head, the the guy that has to make these shots, these plays. It's not just the – let's get real. It's not just the scoring with Anthony Davis. It's not just the player that he is. Because y'all like he's sinuously screaming this shit on the court. Fuck the court. He doesn't want to be the franchise player off the court. LeBron James, we don't really realize. We, we we do, but we don't talk about how much that man actually goes through to be the franchise guy, to be the face of the NBA, to be the face of the Lakers. He goes through a lot. Anthony Davis does not want them, that he LeBron defers shit off. He takes shit away from Anthony Davis. Play. So for people that keep screaming that Anthony Davis needs to come out and become this franchise player, he's doing exactly what the fuck he wants to do. Average 30 points, 15 rebounds, five blocks. He's doing exactly what he wants to do. The problem with it is, is that y'all keep screaming y'all want more from him. What is the more? Because that's exactly what the fuck I expect him to be for the next However long LeBron's there. And until LeBron retires and says, I'm done, Anthony Davis is never going to have to step up into that role of being the franchise player. He's never going to have to do it. You know why? Because he just left the situation for trying to be the franchise player. This is the thing that people are not understanding. Anthony Davis is never going to be the franchise player in, the, in Los Angeles. That ain't his game. It's never been his fucking game. For anybody that's sitting up here and saying, I can't believe, that we still going to another year where Anthony Davis is not the guy. He's never going to be the guy. He's never going to supersede LeBron James. He's never going to be the guy because I don't think he wants to be that. He doesn't want to be the franchise player. He doesn't want to be that guy. So for anybody that's sitting up here and saying, I can't believe it, then you're just delusional. Because that's exactly what the fuck I expect from Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis showed you who he was when he said, even though I signed this deal with the New Orleans Pelicans, I still want out because I don't want to be a franchise player. They used that bullshit terminology of they never built a team around him. Fuck out of here. David Griffin had just got to the Pelicans. The first thing the fucking man had to do was trade Anthony fucking Davis. He didn't even give this man a chance to build a team around him. The fact of the matter is Anthony Davis showed you who he was the moment he said, I want out of New Orleans. And we sit here, y'all sit here every fucking year and ask, when is Anthony Davis going to get back to the New Orleans Pelicans, Anthony Davis? That guy is still on the court. He's still averaging the points he's averaged. He's still rebounding the way he rebounds, blocking the way he blocked. But to sit here and ask you, ask, is he ever going to take the torch away from LeBron James? No. Because that's not what the fuck you went to L.A. for. You went to L.A. to win a championship, learn from LeBron James, but not to fucking inherit the entire fucking team and franchise. That's not what the fuck you went to L.A. for. Y'all made it, y'all thought that fucking way. I ain't never heard Anthony Davis say he went to L.A. to be the franchise fucking carrier after LeBron leaves. I ain't never heard that shit. So. No, I'm not surprised that uh, Anthony Davis still hasn't been great. I'm not shocked at all. He's never going to take the torch from LeBron James. I think I need to get out of this idea that he's going to now be the franchise guy. He's he's, he's not. He's, he's not. All right. Let's get into it. So, college football just released the first ever college uh, college football rankings for the 2023-2024 season. Um, <clears throat> so, that rankings went as Ohio State 1, Georgia 2, Michigan 3, Florida State 4, Washington 5, and Oregon 6. That's awesome. Um. Speaking of college football, uh, like this John Harbaugh scandal is getting crazier and crazier. Uh, people forget John Harbaugh has some shit going on at Stanford too. That's why he left and went to St- uh, went to San Francisco. He had some shit popping off at Stanford too, around the same time. And. Dude. What I things going to happen, we won't know anything until the end of the season. All these stories coming out right now is awesome, great, whatever, but no punishment is really going to be handed down until the end of the season. So for anybody that's sitting up here and trying to create this static to get him out of Michigan or something, you're barking up the wrong fucking tree. You really fucking are. Um... Yeah. Um Also, last week I I kind of went on a rant about uh, uh Keller Williams. <laughs> I kind of went on a rant about Caleb Williams last week. And uh, you know, kind of said some things and um and uh I still stand on what I said. Actually, I got more for his ass this week. The fact that you almost lost to Cal after you was up 17-0 and you almost lost to Cal, California, that is ridiculous. That is ridiculous. I know people are going to sit up here and lie and still say he should be the number one pick. He will never be a franchise-changing quarterback. Get that shit out your all heads. Now let's move on. Like I just said, college football just released their – Top six, I guess, and who they have, and now it's time for my crazy six. You want to know who I got in the top six of my polls? This is how this goes. So, coming in at number one is Michigan. Now, Michigan is number one for me. I know people, I know Ohio State has won. Ohio State has more of the flashy victories, which is – the key point, they beat Notre Dame. They already beat Penn State. So to a lot of people, they have the more flashy victories. But I feel like playing in a big house at the end of the season, Michigan continues to roll and Ohio State continues to roll. Michigan is going to dominate Ohio State. Because as much as these closed games are, Michigan has the defense and the team to actually stop them. I think Michigan is the best team in college football. And, yes, I know they haven't played anyone, but that does not matter to me. They are better than Ohio State. I don't think anybody can sit up here and tell me with a straight face Ohio State could beat Michigan right the fuck now. That ain't the truth. I know it ain't the truth. The fact that they they had Michigan third in the polls behind Georgia is fucking asinine. I have no idea how the fuck that is even a thing. Michigan has been the best team on the fucking in in college football. Defensively, offensively, they dominate. They got to play Purdue this week. We're going to see the same shit we've been seeing. Michigan is that team. Stop trying to make it happen. Stop trying to make some shit look more impressive than what it really is. Michigan is the best team in college football. Stop with the bullshit. Coming in and number two is the Ohio State Buckeyes. Like I said, Michigan is better than Ohio State. But Ohio State to me is better than everybody else. I think Marvin Harrison Jr. is the first receiver off the board. It's not even a goddamn conversation. It's really not even that much of an argument. He's now doing it. I think they don't have their second receiver out there. And they just got their running back back. So, Ohio State, to me, I think, is the second best team. I just think if you played Michigan right now, Michigan beat you. And that's just how I look at it. Michigan is number two on my – yes, they have had – they have beat some very impressive teams. But those games have been very fucking close. The Notre Dame game, it could have really went mm-hmm. any way. You know, if Notre Dame, you know, if Ohio State doesn't score that last touchdown, if the time runs out on Ohio State. And if Michigan, well, if Michigan had 11 players on that field, who's to say Michigan, Ohio State wins that game? So, yes, I know Ohio State has the more oppressive victories, but they haven't dominated anyone. Notre Dame game was very close. The Penn State game was even closer. It, you know, so, I I mean, listen, Ohio State is going to, you know, for people, Ohio State is the number one team in the college. They have them number one, but to me, they're second. I just feel like, yes, even with the oppressive wins, it's not like you dominated any of these teams like previous Ohio State teams have done. You know, if this was that, then I could probably make an argument for why Ohio State should be number one. But for me, playing these teams, if, I feel like if Michigan was to play these teams, they probably dominate Notre Dame and they probably dominate uh, Penn State, which they get the chance to play Penn State later on this year. So I can't wait to see when they – I think they play the next week, if I'm not mistaken. So, yeah. Coming in at number three, they have them fourth in the college playoffs, but this is my ranking. I have them three, and that is Florida State. Florida State is the third best team in college football. Jordan Travis is there. They're getting healthy, but that, that tandem that they have. Jordan Travis to, go <laughs> to, de- to, co- uh, to Keon Coleman is the best one-two punch that college football has. Um it's the ACC. North Carolina has completely fell off the fucking face of the earth the last couple of weeks. Duke is not good. Clemson is not even – they already played Clemson. And where the hell is Miami? So it's literally just them walking through the in a, the ACC for the next couple of weeks. And like I said, I don't see anybody tripping them up anytime soon. Um, I think Florida State the last couple of weeks have to get back to being who they are. I think they have to get back to being – uh, somewhat dominant in some in some of these games. They haven't really been that way the last couple of weeks. I mean, last week was pretty damn dominant. But they played Pitt. Pitt gave uh. I can't remember who Pitt gave a uh, real game to this past weekend. But um, I think Florida State is is the third best team in college football. They have the defense. They have the offense. They have the team that really. Can hone in and do what they need to do. So I think Florida State is the third best team in college football. Coming in at number four, they have them. At number five, and that is Washington. Washington, to me, is the fourth best team in college football. Now, the last two weeks have been very shaky. I'm not going to sit up here and lie, especially when you're playing literally the worst part of the Pac-12: Arizona State and Stanford. And you struggle against both teams and very, very, very you know, significantly struggled against both of these teams. Washington style is now starting to turn the ball over a little bit too much for me. But at the end of the day, I still think Washington is a better football team than what the rankings have shown and who they are. I think at the I think this weekend you see them full flashing in person of who they really are. I think them going against USC and USC, of all places, I can definitely see Washington getting back to who they are and what they do. That USC defense is not great. If California, if California just scored almost 50 fucking points on USC, Washington could literally score 60. Like it's, it's it's that type of energy. So I got Washington for it on my list. Coming in at number five is a team Washington's already beat and probably will play in a Pac-12 championship, man, to be honest with you. And that is the Oregon Ducks. I got them at five. They play California, who USC just played. And like I just said, USC just literally gave California, gave up like 40 fucking points, over 40 points to California. Oregon's going to score at least about 35 in the first quarter. Like, Oregon's going to dominate this team. I've been waiting for Oregon to have a fall off at some point. I thought last week against Utah, with the defense that Utah has, the ability to kind of control certain things, I thought Oregon would probably fall then. But they haven't. The only game they physically have lost is the is the Washington game. And even that was a close game. I gotta give Argon that credit. I think Argon's actually a really good fucking team. Um and I think Argon might be the best team behind Washington in the Pac-12. If everything goes according to plan, and let's say they do play in the Pac-12 championship game and they beat Washington in the Pac-12 championship game. To me personally, depending on what happens, of course, Michigan and Ohio State will play. But if Ohio State lose, or Michigan loses, they get knocked out. And I think one of the I think two Pac-12 teams get into the college playoffs. And I know people will sit here and say, Well, what about Alabama? And what about Georgia? And what about but to me, Oregon and Washington have had the most sustainable wins. They have dominated and they have shown up every fucking weekend. I cannot say that about Alabama. I cannot say that about Texas. I cannot say that about a lot of these fucking teams. Texas has lost. Washington's loss was to Oregon, and they redeemed – Oregon's loss was to Washington. And if they redeem themselves in a Pac-12 championship game, I got to give Washington and Oregon the one-two. I got to give it to them. I got to put them in a a college – I don't give a fuck if Texas wins the Pac – the Big 12. I don't care what happens truly in the SEC championship game. Because to me, I think Oregon and Washington are the – what, five of the best college football teams I've seen this season – and they haven't fell off. So, and when they played each other, it was a tug of war. You didn't know who was going to win that game. So, if they come back and play each other in the Pac-12 championship game, it's the same type of energy, but Argon wins it. I got to give it to Argon, man. I got to put Argon in the college playoffs. And Washington. I think both of them get put in the in the college playoffs, man. I, I would just have to boost it up. I would have to do it. I would have to do it. And coming in at number six is Georgia. Um Georgia starting Georgia dominated Florida uh Saturday. Um I actually thought that game would be a little closer, but Florida this season is not good. Um I wanna see Georgia Missouri this upcoming weekend, but I is gonna probably dominate that game. Um yeah, I I Georgia still feels like a shaky team. They still feel like a team that still needs, you know, a lot of shit to go right. But the game they had against Florida, it's Florida. You had two weeks to prepare for them. I want to see how you're going to really adjust to uh, Missouri this upcoming week, being at home against Florida. Uh, a seven and one Missouri who has the ability to throw the ball, they suck at run defense and they suck at pass defense. Because I saw them against LSU, they sucked. But I think a Brandon Cook, a a a, a Brady Cook, the Missouri quarterback, and the way that Missouri does play offensively, they can, might they might be able to stretch that Georgia defense out, and that they can do it consistently. This might be the game Georgia kind of does struggle a little bit now. If Missouri plays the way Georgia wants them to play and forces them to play, then Georgia wins this game and it wins it easily. But I do want to see how they're going to look. Georgia's my number six team. I know the polls got them at two. That's only because they're the defending national championship champions. But Georgia's not looked great this entire year. Their last couple games, they're starting to kind of regain who they are. But I think eventually that, that broad, uh, broaders, broaders injury, Browner's injury is going to show up. And I think it might be this weekend. Because if they can't go back and forth, especially if Missouri does find a way to score touchdowns, I don't think Georgia has that ability to shoot out anyone. Which Georgia has never been a great shootout team. That's why the defense is so heavily uh, invested into. But if Missouri could figure out a way to make this game kind of like a 21 0 game in the first half, or you know, going to halftime, a 21 3, 21 6 game, if they can dominate early. And then kind of own it in the third quarter, they beat Georgia. And that's kind of why I feel like Georgia is six. All right. Speaking of college football, <laughs> let's get into it, man. My skeptical game of the weeks, My skeptical game of the week. My most interesting game of the week. My upset game of the week. And, of course, the game of the week. Now let's get into it. So my skeptical my skeptical game of the week is Kansas State versus Texas. Now Texas coming off of a massive win, especially without their, their quarterback. They dominated. I forgot what they played last week, but they beat they, they beat the brakes Oh BYU. They played BYU and beat the brakes off of BYU. Um, Kansas State also had a pretty good game last week. Um Kansas State always feels like a sneaky fucking team in the Big 12. They just always do last year when they played TCU the first time and then they, they lost to TCU the first time but then beat them in the Big 12 championship game. Kansas State always feels like a sneaky-ass team that could just figure it out late. And Kansas State, this is why it's a very sketchy feeling for it. I think Texas is in a very precarious situation. You played BYU last week. That's one thing. Now you're playing against a Kansas State, and I don't know if your quarterback is going to be back anytime soon. So I don't know how this – I'm assuming as a freshman, I don't know. But I don't know how he's going to really do in Kansas State – against Kansas State. I know that you're at home, so that's a a good thing, I guess. But even in that situation, you know, that's a hard game to to kind of like master. I know you had a super – like, again – You had a massive win against BYU with this backup, but it's such such an interesting situation. And I'm looking at that and saying to myself, man, if Kansas State wins this game, I wouldn't be surprised. If they win this game, I would not be surprised. Kansas State is the type of team that has the defense, has the ability to run the ball, control clock, and also throw the ball when they need to. So I can definitely see Kansas State beating Texas in this game. I wouldn't be surprised. My most interesting game of the week is Texas A&M versus Ole Miss. Now, this game is going to be interesting, to say the least, because Ole Miss's offense is amazing. But their defense, mm, Texas A&M for most of the season, has been a team that is kind of like a catch-22. Like, sometimes they're a great team on offense, and then sometimes defense is just not good. Uh, sometimes the defense is great, but the offense isn't good. It's a hard thing to master. And I think Texas A&M in this game, this is why it's my most interesting game, because you play against an old Miss team that isn't that great on defense. And Texas A&M can move the ball through the air and on the ground which kind of controls creates some situations. Now, if Ole Miss can also move the ball offensively, then it doesn't matter. It's a complete wash. But if Texas A&M defense comes to play like they usually do, they can upset Ole Miss, and I think it could happen this weekend. My upset game of the week is a game I just talked about, Missouri versus Georgia. I know Missouri's going to Georgia. I know Georgia's the number two team in the polls to them. They're the number six team to me. But again, Eventually, that that Brock, uh, you know Bro Brody's yeah whatever the fuck the dude name last name is <laughs> Browsers yeah whatever uh Brock Browsers um injury that will eventually come to pass at some point, and I think a lot of people that don't want to give him say that is 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 a little bit crazy. I'm not saying Missouri's defense is amazing because it's not, but. For what Georgia does, they can hold them. They can do some things. Like I said, Brady Cook, if he's good in this game. And they have one of the best running backs in in SEC. So, I could definitely see Missouri going to Georgia and beating them. Now, that's the scary part, going to Georgia. That's a hard thing to do. But I think Missouri could get it. And the game of the week. You know what's coming. LSU versus Alabama. Now, I'll be doing my – Bleed, purple, and gold episode right after this game is over. Um, It's Alabama. It's LSU. It does determine of if Ole Miss is to lose at some point during the season, one of these teams are going to take the SEC West. Now, Alabama is still in the conversation with the SEC West because they are the only team to beat Ole Miss. So if they do somehow, some way, if Ole Miss somehow, some way, does fall at some point, Alabama gets that SEC West, and it's not even a question. So this literally is the game that determines the SEC West. Because if Ole Miss continues to run the table, then Ole Miss is is good. But if if Ole Miss loses to Texas A&M, but loses to Georgia, because they got to play Georgia at some point this week, this year, the winner of this game gets that. So it's a lot of things moving forward for this situation going forward. So, you know, this is always a hard game for for LSU fan to watch because you don't know what LSU is going to do defensively. Last two weeks for LSU, the last two games we played for LSU defensively has been pretty good. It's been pretty stagnant. They, they've done really well, but they also play against two teams. that don't really throw the fucking football that much. Auburn don't really throw the ball like that, and, and uh, Army didn't throw the ball like that. So I'm not too like, yeah, they got to – this is a shaky game for us because – uh, Alabama is starting to find their, path, their rhythm with the passing game. They like to throw deep shots, which is one thing about LSU they cannot sustain, is that defense sometimes. So, But I do think Jaden McDaniels and that offense is such a offensive ready offense. that uh, Alabama could only do so much because that offense is too fucking good. It's too good, man. Um, So that is why it's my game of the week. Anything can happen in these types of games, especially with it's LSU in Alabama, and LSU has never beaten Alabama, hasn't beaten Alabama two times in a row in a long time. So we should see how this all plays out. Now, getting to the NFL. Um, congratulations to um to Dallas. Um, you beat. A team that has overachieved this entire season. And now I hear people again. Doing what they always do. And I get it. It's media. I get it. You gotta lie. But we know what the fuck's about to happen come <laughs> Sunday. Eagles, Dallas, man. Eagles, Cowboys, man. Um, I expect the ass whooping. I'm not even gonna lie. I expect... A complete and utter ass-whooping Sunday night uh, when Dallas and the Philadelphia Eagles play. I expect the Eagles to beat the lovely shit out the Cowboys. I am not going to sit here and lie. As good as the Cowboys are against these mediocre-ass teams, we have seen enough to know they're great against mediocre-ass teams. But when they play that team, that solidified football team, they can't do shit. And as good as Dallas looked, they can't run the ball, which now makes Dak Prescott a sitting fucking dog in the pocket for Jalen Carter, Fletcher Cox, and um, Jordan Davis. And you still got to sign Riddick just somewhere on that line. That is a dangerous situation. And Brandon Graham, which, by the way, is still there. That's a scary situation. Now, the secondary, the Eagles have kind of been a little shaky this year, not going to lie. But then I look at Dallas defense, and it's like literally Dallas defense is predicated on Michael Parsons. And if they can't get Michael Parsons going, you are a sitting fucking duck in that secondary with the ability that A.J. Brown is playing at right now and Devontae Smith, who hasn't had that game yet. This is going to be a very, very scary situation for the Cowboys. Now, if Jalen Hurts is still injured from last year or whatever, if Jalen Hurts is still hurt, that can actually hurt the Eagles in this game. But I would not be surprised if the Eagles just find a way to get DeAndre Swift going and just push the Dallas line out the way and get the running game going. Now, of course, today was trade deadline day. Um, Some moves happened. One move that got everybody talking is uh, Chase Young going to the San Francisco 49ers. Now, um, it's a cool move. It's a good move. It's okay. It's decent. But, I see people literally losing their shit and being like, oh, my God, do you see the pass rush that, that the 49ers has got now? They got Nate Bosa and they got Jerron Hargrave and they got, you know, Randy Gregory and they got, okay, and your fucking point is, they still suck in that secondary, and if they can't get the pressure on the quarterback like everybody's screaming they're now going to do, what, what the fuck happens? What happens? If they can't apply the pressure to the quarterback, that secondary is still a sitting fucking duck. And that is what I think people are not understanding. And plus on top of that, this team, I think they bring in a Chase Young to create early to create pressure. But the problem with that is what if you are what if you plan a team that's more of a running team, like the Eagles, who can just move their little ass off the fucking line. What then? You think they stopping the run? The fuck? No, you got them to be pass rushers. That's what the fuck you got them for. You didn't get them to be runners of the, like, the, to stop the run, to clog the running lanes. You got them to be pass rushers. So what if you play the Eagles? Or you play a Detroit who has a pretty good offensive line and can also run the ball? What if you play against Seattle? Who can run the fucking football? I don't think that was a good idea. Uh, listen, Chase Young is no amazing things, but I feel like that was a move made. So it's just in case we play a team that all they have is to throw in the ball. Like that's all they have is passing the ball like Dallas. This doesn't really change anything. I saw people today be like, this is such a great move. It's going to put more pressure on the quarterback. And this. What if the quarterback don't throw the ball? What if they just run the ball all day? Chase Young doesn't get on the field. Nick Bosa barely is that great in run stopping anyway. What do you what what now? What you should have did go get an offensive lineman. What you should have did was go get some help in the defensive tackle position. What you should have done is go get another cornerback in that secondary. But you got another pass rusher. Here's the problem that people don't understand about the San Francisco 49ers. The fucking front seven ain't the problem of the 49ers. That's what people are not understanding. The front seven is not the fucking problem. I know people are saying, well, they can't get the pass rush. They can't. You realize when they played the Eagles in the NFC Championship game, they couldn't get pass rush then either. So what are we sitting here and saying? What are we sitting here saying? I think people just are dilute. I get it. I get it. I get it. But yeah, my, my favorite trade was a trade that happened yesterday, and that is Leonard Williams going from the Giants to the Seahawks. Now, that's a pick, a pickup that people don't want to talk about and really acknowledge because it's like Seattle is good because that was actually a move that Seattle needed to make. They needed another guy in that defensive line that could come in and help with run stoppage and even sometimes rush the passer, and that's exactly what you got on Leonard Williams. Now, that's a move that I think is actually the better fucking move, but nobody talks about it because you're wrapped up in San Francisco, but Seattle now leaves the NFC West, ladies and gentlemen, and if people don't pay a fucking tension, they could probably take the NFC West. Yes, the Chase Young move is for a, they say it was a, a lot of people said, oh, this was a need. Okay, sure. Okay, yeah. It's such a need when you just, literally just traded and got Randy Gregory two fucking weeks ago. Like, how much of a need really is it? You just got another damn pass rusher. You got a pass rusher two weeks ago. Why are you now sitting here saying, "Well, this was a need? You just got a pass rusher. What the fuck are you talking about? What changes now with Chase Young now there? What the fuck now makes this team so goddamn great? You had Chase Young. You brought in Chase Young to a defense that was already good at pass rushing. Now, a lot of people are going to sit and say, they haven't been great this year. Shit happens. But this Maybe that's because of the defensive coordinator. Change because, like I've been saying, D'Amico Ryans and Eric bien are the two best moves of the offseason, the most devastating moves of the offseason to Kansas City's offense, San Francisco's defense. And not showing up. Maybe it's just the way that is. I think a lot of people need to stop. A lot of people need to stop doing this. Like, like immediately need to stop doing this. Um... Yeah, man, I, I think people are delusional, as shit. <laughs> I think people are delusional, as shit. Um, because that was that is not a great that's not a great move. I I don't think San Francisco trading to get Chase not to give getting them for like a third pick, that's pretty cool. That's a good situation. But to sit and tell me, then that, that now cures the fucking L's of the 49ers. the entire team was pass rush. That's what you that's what you needed, even though you just traded and got Randy Gregory two fucking weeks ago. But who am I? Who what am I? Just gotta just talk on the fucking podcast. Who knows? Anyway. Let's get into it. My big four of this week. Coming into week nine, my big four of the NFL this week, is goes like this. Number one, the Miami Dolphins. I got Miami at number one. Um, Miami's really good. <clears throat> if they could continue this pass rush with now a Jalen Ramsey being back, the defense continues to grow. Vic Vangio being a defense coordinator. With the ability of this offense, this is a scary team. I'm still not ready to say they're gonna win the AFC. Not at all. No, I'm still don't think they're going to the Super Bowl. But this weekend, them versus Kansas City is gonna tell me a lot about who Miami truly is. And I think um I think Miami um if they go over to Germany and beat Kansas City, I think Miami is better than Kansas City. Um and yeah, I think I think a lot of times people are I think uh Miami's the best team. Um AFC right now. If you ask me right now if they're the best team, I say yeah. So um, Yeah, but I don't think overall, when it's all said and done, they're gonna be the best team. I think for right now, yeah, they're the best team. Number two, Philadelphia Eagles. Philadelphia coming off of a, uh, another hard fought victory against Washington. Man, Washington get these motherfuckers problems. I don't know what it is, but Washington get these niggas problems. Um, they're number two. Uh, they're seven and one. Like I said, they're going up against Dallas this upcoming weekend. Um, yeah, I think Philly's the best team in the NFC. Um. To me, are they the best team in the NFL? No, I don't think they're the best team in the NFL. I will say this, though. A.J. Brown is the best receiver in the NFL, especially this year. I know Tariq Hill is having these crazy off-the-chart numbers, but Tariq Hill always does that shit. His speed is amazing. That's the kind of thing. But if you ask me right now, who would I rather stop if I was a defensive coordinator? Give me Tariq Hill right now. I will figure out how to get, stop Tariq Hill. Put the pressure on Tua. And after that, well, how the fuck are you getting the ball to Tariq Hill? <laughs> like, how are you getting the ball to Tariq Hill if I get pressure on on, on Tua? A.J. Brown is literally a fucking threat. People, I saw somebody say he's a young DeAndre Hopkins. No, nigga, that's fucking Calvin Johnson, nigga. You see the catches this nigga is making? That's fucking Calvin Johnson. Like, this dude is making fucking crazy ass catches. Young Megatron in action, my guys. So, you know, if, if Calvin Johnson's Megatron, this is bumblebee. This nigga is second in command. This nigga is killing shit. And I got A.J. Brown and the Philadelphia Eagles number two. I think, like I said, they're going to probably dominate Dallas. That Dallas secondary, God help them. Because if you could barely beat San Francisco, and they barely have offense like that, nigga. <laughs> <laughs> Nigger, ooh, shit! Good fucking luck. Um, coming in number three is the Detroit Lions, coming off of last night's Monday Night victory. Man, they finally used Jameer Gibbs and they used his ass to perfection. Um, y'all know me, man. I've been saying Detroit's the third best team in the NFL, but also the second best team in the NFC, man. Uh, that offensive line is getting healthy. They might get David Montgomery back after the bye. And I'm looking at the schedule, man. The Bears are still whatever. Minnesota just lost, lost Kirk Cousins, who I thought would actually get them back into the conversation. But now that he's down, he's out for the rest of the year. They just traded with Josh Dobbs. I don't know if my Minnesota is going to advance. And you still got to get Justin Jefferson back. And He might not come back now because if that team starts to fall in the next two weeks, they got um uh, Minnesota play this week. Oh shit, I had it and I saw I saw it. But I know they play uh, the Saints. Um, two weeks after, two weeks from now, they play us in Minnesota. So yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean for, for for what it is, man. Um, I think Detroit pretty much wins the division. And Green Bay is completely a fucking dumpster fire. So. <laughs> Like Green Bay's a completely dumpster. They literally just traded their second best cornerback on the damn team during this trade deadline. So, um, yeah, um, and my fourth best team, even though the record, even though the record doesn't look pretty, they're my fourth best team, and that is the Cincinnati Bengals. I've seen this enough times to know Cincinnati's about to go on a massive fucking run. It just took him a while. Joe Burrow getting injured in training camp, I think, really did linger a lot into the season. But I do think, but I do think, now that Joe Burrow is somewhat healthy, and if he is hundred percent healthy now, that's a scary ass situation. I, 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 I think going against Buffalo, who has truly, truly, truly been struggling for the last couple of weeks and ain't getting better anytime soon. I know you just got Rasheel Rasheel Douglas, but that's one man for a defense. That's one key piece for a secondary that has way more problems than just covering motherfuckers. Like, that team is not good. That offense still isn't great. Nothing has worked in Buffalo. And I do not believe that Buffalo's that great. Cincinnati, I think, is the better team. And if you were to ask me in the next couple of weeks, where do I see the AFC North? I see the AFC North being Cincinnati's. I think Baltimore, as great as Baltimore is, Baltimore still has these lingering problems. They didn't trade and go get another running back. You still don't know about Odell Beckham and uh, Rashad Bateman in Baltimore. And that defense is great, but they also just had a game against Arizona and they could barely stop them. So... Yeah, I guess. I guess. But now you got Cincinnati who, by the way, is getting healthy and starting to play up to their, to their defensive standards. Did you not see how they played in San Francisco? And San Francisco's offense is not great, but, man, that team is different, man. So I think Cincinnati shows the world this Sunday night that they're back and they're ready to go, I think. So for me, they're my fourth best team in the NFL, man. I think a lot of people are going to sleep on Cincinnati until you look up and be like, damn, these dudes are on a, like a – a eight-game winning streak. Yeah, uh, I'm telling you this now. Invest in Cincinnati because it's about to go crazy. <sighs> now, welcome to the Levels of Warning, ladies and gentlemen, because that is exactly what this is. Levels of Warning for week nine for three NFL teams. You know how I do this. Yellow is caution. It's... Uh, just be careful. It's getting closer and closer to the be careful. Situation. Um, the other two are orange. That's panic time. It's getting close to you saying, fuck, we might need to think about some things. And the other one is, of course, just red. And that's DOA. Just dead. Just dead on site. Just dead on arrival. And that's DOA. Dead on arrival. I, I'm losing, I've lost faith in you, but it's just not getting better. It's just not getting better. So, let's get into it. Yellow. My team that is in caution, it's very simple. And that is, yes, the 6-2 Kansas City Chiefs. Listen. I have been saying this this entire fucking season. I literally said it last week when I put them in my Big Four that I ain't had them all all year in my Big Four for a fucking reason because I do not trust Kansas City's offense, and I think Kansas City still sucks. They lost to Denver this past weekend, and Denver usually plays them tough, so I'm not that surprised that Denver actually beat them. That's why I picked them uh, when we did the Pick'em Show. The problem with Kansas City, though, is I think people are having a hard time understanding is that people keep screaming, well, they always have these games. They have these disappointing football games at some point during the season, and then they turn it around. They, they Then they turn it around, and they have these games where they are great. And I, I think I saw uh, Dan Orlowski on on ESPN say, look, Kansas City so always has these bad games at at certain points during the season. I mean, uh, two years ago it was Tennessee and they got beat down and then two in their last year was against the Colts. When they played Tennessee in 2021, Tennessee went on to become the number one seed in the playoffs. But also, Kansas City that game that was like week four or five of the season, so you had time to turn around. And by the way, they still had to re-kill. They still had uh, Travis Kelsey. They had that offense. And they still had Eric Biennemi called in place. And the defense was pretty decent. It was okay. wasn't great, but it was, it was okay. So to sit here and, and then last year when they played the Colts, that was week three of the NFL season. We didn't know who the fuck Kansas City's offense was at that time. This is week fucking nine we're going into now. And these receivers still can't catch. They still can't create separation. They still can't do a lot of this shit. And you're still sitting up here and trying to tell me, Kansas City's going to figure it out. The problem with people is you live in a now, but you still think about the past. In sports particularly, you got to stop this shit, man. Kansas City's offense is disturbing at best. Y'all keep screaming, all they have is Travis Kelsey. No fucking shit. They've always, all they had is Travis fucking Kelsey. They always had just Travis Kelsey. Even last year, all they had was Travis fucking Kelsey. But they found a way to make other guys actually stand out and stand up for themselves. But this goes back into what I've been saying for the entire fucking time. How much longer do you sit up here and say that Eric B is actually the catalyst for why that offense was so fucking good last year? Because, yeah. You had a bunch of no name receivers. But by week six, week seven, you knew who the fuck up do what. Like the fact of the matter is this offense is not great. Like this team is never is not I not gonna say and say they never could get right, but you still got receivers dropping passes. You still got guys that are still not doing what they need to do. So to sit up here and tell me that, oh, eventually they're gonna, you know eventually they're going to turn into, you know, the offense they had last year. No, it's a completely different offensive line. It's a completely different offense of weapons. And it's a completely different man calling the fucking plays. This is why I kept saying, people kept screaming and saying, well, Eric bien really wasn't the head man of the offense. And it's been Andy Reid. And Andy Reid's going to always, what are they doing right now? Because this looks like Matt Nagy's offense in Chicago, where they could not create separation. They couldn't create any speed off of the routes. This looks like Chicago's offense when Matt Nagy was there. The craziest part is, that was with Mitchell Trubisky. You have Patrick fucking Mahomes, and you still can't create no offense. Fuck out of here, dude. I'm tired of people lying. Kansas City is in caution. And by the end of next, by the end of Sunday, if they do not beat Miami, I am ready to say, you know what, Kansas City is about to be in the same boat as Buffalo. But here's the thing, I think Buffalo, I think Buffalo, is in a way worse situation, <laughs> and I'll tell you that in the next couple of minutes. But Kansas City is definitely yellow. Then, my yeah, then the caution period of this situation, man, and everybody that's sitting up here trying to tell me that this is just a game and it's not a warning. And it's dog, it's it's one thing when you have it in week five, week four, week five, week six, even of the NFL season. It's a whole, even, even week three of last year, it's a whole nother fucking thing where you're going into week nine and your bye week is literally the week after that. And then after that, you play Philly. In Philly. Yeah. You still got to play Cincinnati in Buffalo? Yeah. You can stop with that fuck shit. There is no way in hell Kansas City is going to magically make this offense work. Because they've been dropping passes. It's not like they this is, shit is new. No, they've been dropping passes. So, yeah. I think it's ridiculous that people will sit up here and still try to tell me Kansas City is still okay. Okay. You're delusional. All right, my team on panic time, panic time, is the Atlanta Falcons. They're 4-4. They lost to the Tennessee Titans, but it's the way you lost to the Tennessee Titans. You literally lost to a team that literally had a rookie, first start, first time ever in the NFL, play. And they outplayed you that defense that was supposed to be this great defense with Jesse Bates and Jeff Acuna and all these guys you bought in and all these guys you got, and that defense let a rookie who had never played in the NFL throw three passing touchdowns to DeAndre Hopkins (laughs) and made that secondary look dismal. And now that Desmond Ritter, who had a concussion, so, speedy recovery to you, man. But now you have Tyler Haneke, who I've been saying should have been a starting quarterback of the team. But since this is the way we have now gone, the Falcons are in very bad shape. I don't think people understand that. Now, I think they played Minnesota this week. I think that's who played Minnesota this week. And I think they played him in Atlanta, if I'm not mistaken. So yeah, you could probably get this win. But for me to say you're still in the conversation for the NFC South, no. I don't I don't think you're in the conversation for the NFC South. That's a little that's a little too far for me. I think you're I think you're good. I think you could be better, but you're asking me to put my faith in Kyle Pitts in Drake London. Yeah, miss me with that shit, bro. Yeah, <laughs> like, miss me with that shit, bro. And my team all red is, of course, the DOA, dead on arrival. And that is the Buffalo Bills, 5-3. and three. Um, Thursday Night Football was a complete and utter disaster. And that is the worst thing you ever want to hear a team say. You're at home against a Tampa Bay offense that is, for the most part, basic as hell. And you cannot beat them. It's not that you just didn't beat them. It's it's, it's not that you just didn't beat them. That's one thing. It's not that you didn't just beat them. They made you look like they were on the same level as you. A team that everybody has screamed was supposed to be this Super Bowl-bound team for the last couple of years. Tampa Bay, who is literally in a rebuild, despite what people want to say, they're in a fucking rebuild. And you let Baker Mayfield – and here's the crazy point. I literally told my brother Juan this when we were doing the show last week. I said, if you ask me which quarterback I trust more, it's Baker Mayfield. I think Baker Mayfield, as bad as he has been and has been perceived and has shown to be. He's actually playing really good this fucking season. And I could sit here and say that. I cannot say that about Josh Allen. I physically cannot say that. I don't think Josh Allen is that fucking great. I'm going to be honest with you. I think he's good. I think he can do some things. But Josh Allen's okay. And then, this all, and then of course, during this trade deadline, you go get received Douglas. That's great. I'm happy for you. You got received Rash- uh, – Rasaan Douglas. Um – that's awesome. That's great. I'm happy for you. Um, does that change the offense? No. No. Does not change the offense? Um, does it change the way you call your offense? No. No, it doesn't change it. Uh, okay. Then what the fuck was the pickup for? Yeah, you fix your defense, so we think. But it don't change the way your offense looks and plays. Josh Allen is still... And people keep screaming it's a it's a Josh Allen centric Josh Allen centric uh, offense though. No, it's not. It's literally it's Stefan Diggs a no one offense because they don't run the ball. They just picked up Leonard Fournette, which made um, teachers own nigga teachers own. They just picked up Leonard Fournette. When you also had already Latavius Murray, who does the same shit that Leonard Fournette pretty much fucking does. So you bring in Leonard Fournette. You still got Latavius Murray. But James Cook is actually the better running back of those teams. Of that team. And the fact that y'all don't even use him is 100% stupid as shit. And then on top of that, your offense is literally, like I said, Stefan Diggs and nothing. Now, on top of that, you add to the fact that Dalton Kincaid finally showed up and showed out, which I still think that was a kind of stupid draft pick to have in the first fucking round because you were pretty much banking on, uh, at some point, Dawson Knox to, you know, lose his, you know, getting injured. But this this is a terrible situation, man. I don't think Buffalo is that great. Like I said, when I was talking about Cincinnati, I think we're going to see how good Buffalo really is because I don't think they're on Cincinnati's level. I don't think they have the defense of the offense that can actually compete against Cincinnati. And if you can't compete against Cincinnati, that means you can't compete against um, Kansas City, which means you can't really compete against and even, and I don't think Kansas City's that fucking good. Like, and, and that tells you all you need to know. I don't think they're a good team, man. Buffalo, you barely escaped Thursday night. Like, barely fucking escaped Thursday night. And that is something that we should not be saying about a team that was supposed to be this Super Bowl contender. That's embarrassing. And this offense isn't getting any fucking better. And I think people need to stop. And it's just like Kansas City. They're not getting better. They're just doing what they need to do to get by. And I think that that's the, that's the problem with this team. And I think, I think that's, the, that's the biggest problem with the Kansas, Kansas City Chiefs, and that's the biggest problem with the uh, Buffalo Bills. The problem with Buffalo, though, is is that we know you're not good. We know you're just offensive-centric towards Stephon Diggs, Josh Allen. We know this. And I don't think you're getting better anytime soon. So that is why you DOA and you're in the red. Anytime. Anyway. Next week. I'll see you next week. Uh, more crazy shit going down. More things going on in sports. But until next week, I am Brian new. Peace. Enjoy the sports week. Peace.